This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Chris P is Global Head of Digital Marketing at Bearing Point. He leads digital marketing websites and social media channels across Europe and beyond, managing digital agencies and a nearshore team. He is best when coaching people in teams, developing digital marketing strategy, launching new websites and services, looking under the hood at data and giving insights, managing external agencies, and most of all, looking at what opportunities tomorrow can bring. Chris Pete, welcome to ClientSide. Thanks a lot, Nathan, and uh, thanks a lot for the invite. It's a pleasure to join. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, your history and background is really fascinating. You you get your degree from the University of Salford in multimedia and in internet technology. What did you think you were going to do with your career at that time? Um, back then, I suppose it was really a little bit different. Everyone was talking about new media. Um, we were still putting things on big disks, you know, floppy mm-hmm. disks, zip drives. Mm-hmm. I remember taking these big plastic things into university at the time, and it felt like it was really the cutting edge of, of technology. <laughs> it felt really, really like you're on the cusp of something new. I think you had the dot-com boom at the time. Sure. And everything felt really, really exciting at the time. Um, it was one of the first causes going in this direction and you you thought you were onto something new but you didn't know whether it would really take off you know it's like that old joke the internet will never take off thankfully Mm. it was a really good choice um Mm. but i definitely when i was at university had different aspirations i wanted to move into some sort of agency environment um i always thought i'd be doing something cool like festival websites band websites we Mm. were doing um i guess in that new media thing you're also doing a lot of things with animations with videos so i thought my direction of travel was really going to be like this um if, if I could say one thing that I knew I definitely wasn't going to do choosing this cool course, it's, you know, I wouldn't be with the suits. I wouldn't be in this sort of business environment doing B2B marketing. But, oh, <laughs> that happened. This is where, this is where we are today. Yeah. Really interesting. So, so your roles have been very technical to date. Um, a lot of development, a lot of website building, e-commerce, CMS, etc. How do you go from very technical roles in your previous roles to now marketing? I suppose for me, it's being able to find that red thread in in your own career and see what transverses from one thing to another. And in a technical role, you can either be super, super technical, or you can be a bit technical, a bit designer, a bit solution orientated. And I was always this halfway house between a designer and a developer at the beginning, um, Mm. which is a bit a bit of a laugh now looking back on it because I wasn't the most brilliant of developers and I wasn't the most brilliant of designers. <laughs> and I thought I need to find a way through this that, that really works sure. for me. And for me, it was the so what, you know, one of the big things early on in my career doing websites was thinking, you know, on a supply side, on agency side, if you like, um, I was working at a software house at the time, you deliver these solutions, but then you go off into the night and the customer takes it forward. What happens with it past then? How do you make it a success? Those things that you make a decision on early on, 
did they really work or not? And so mm. marketing and digital marketing was that forward ongoing bit. It was about having the faith to sit with the project and see it all the way through its life cycle instead of just developing it and passing on the baton at the first mm. time. So for me, it was a really natural fit into digital marketing, if you like. And mm. those bits of motivation of how people use things, of how people interact, of looking at the KPIs, it made everything so much more interesting. And I realized that this sort of niche, if you like, in between the two things, and it's not a niche marketing, right? But it's um, it felt like it at the time to me. I was really, really good at that. Um, mm. If I could be more confident about my designing and developing skills, this mm. role in the middle of being... Um, the customer of these solutions and being able to take them forward, get them work, manage your KPIs, get success, run campaigns. I, I just realized this was something I really, really enjoyed. And so I was really happy and I'm still really happy in finding that role into digital marketing. And I think, you know, it, it then is this blend of creativity, marketing, usage. It's, I, I really like it. Mm. And, and what does that blend of left brain, right brain thinking give you and your employer to date? You know, that combination of sort of your technical background, design background, but also your digital marketing expertise. What does that bring to an employer? I think um, for an employer, it, it brings a much safer pair of hands. You can see a lot of the times the digital marketing guys, purebred digital marketing, pure play digital marketing. They're very, very focused on their campaigns, on their conversion rates, on their clicks, their KPIs. Sure. Um, but the technicalities of how you deliver it, they don't really know. Um, again, the technical guys, it's sort of a bit more black and white with them. Does it work? Yes or no? Um, mm. And I suppose on top of this, I, I have a slight business background with an MBA. And so you get this well-rounded ability to say, you know, what does the company want? You know, how does this technically get achieved? How do you do it? Because being able to sit in a room and not just say what you want to do, but how you'll do it, how you'll bring a team together. Um, and that marketing mix of why it'll work, why you need to make certain decisions in that depth means that you're you've got a lot more depth to your own character. It means that, you know, a company can really believe in what you're saying. You, you're able to deliver on big ambitions for a company. And I think internally, you're also able to speak with a lot of credibility. And externally, when you're looking at suppliers, you're also able to talk with that same credibility. So you can get a lot of things done, I think, that you couldn't if you were just pure digital marketing or sure. pure technical or pure or pure marketing as well um mm. so it's, it's a good blend it's a good complementary skill set so so let's talk a little bit about bearing point you're now global head of digital marketing at the company tell us a little bit more about them and what do, what problems do you solve for the company well, Bearing Point's a European-based business consultancy. Um, it's a little bit like Europe Plus Plus. So it's not one of the huge giant global businesses like Deloitte KPMG with this huge footprint, but it's um, it's a mid-sized player. It, it operates mainly in Europe, but it's also got bases in US and China. And it's really focused on this technology and business consulting and it works across a range of verticals be it automotive industrial manufacturing um, financial services so it's it's a really interesting company it's really mm. dynamic it's always changing um, size-wise it's about four to five thousand people uh, mm. so it has a unique place if you like with all the other mid-tier consultancy players but it, it's quite an interesting one it, it pitches itself as a bit more dynamic a bit younger a bit fresher and 
for me, at Bearing Point, I'm leading the digital marketing. So I'm looking after all of our digital presences. Um, they've grown quite a lot now. Um, so that's covering all of the countries. It's including probably about 20 plus websites now, although we have some bigger websites um, that are our main ones and then a few more agile tactical instances. I'm also hmm. looking after our social media channels, our overall digital strategy, supply setup and our sort of support team for digital marketing across the business. So it's um, it's quite a big role. But sure. one of the things at Bearing Point, and I suppose one of the standout things at Bearing Point are the people, and, and I suppose that's why I'm still here six odd years later, because mm. everyone in, in this business is really, really friendly, really nice, really approachable, but also very knowledgeable. Um, mm. So it's a lot of fun working at Bearing Point. It's a lot of fun doing their digital marketing, and it's a lot of fun looking at the business challenges that we have each year as the market shifts, as we bring in new solutions. I think it's um, it's one of those really overplayed things i wouldn't say every day feels different but certainly every year feels different at bearing point uh so let's talk a little bit about that in in more detail because you mentioned the market shifting then and we'll come on to the covid19 question in a moment and how it's affected the business um but you work with agencies all over the world germany spain the us romania sweden the uk etc Talk a little bit about some of the biggest differences you find with managing agencies in different countries. Well, so I've, I've worked with a lot of different agencies at different times and in different companies. So maybe it's um, the moments in time that change, um, but they do all have their nuances. So in the end, people are people and 80% of you know good spirit, good communication gets you through. But as you start to work with agencies in different in different countries, for me, it's definitely you can get stuck on some really small culture issues just on a work perspective. Um, I definitely always found in the UK, it was always a bit of a trade. It was always a bit of a discussion. You know, you needed to really agree the big picture and then you dial into the detail, but you never mm. start with the detail. You have to agree the big picture, the direction before you can go into the other things. You know, if you're both heading in the right direction, there's a confidence you want to go further together. Um, in other markets, it's been interesting because you've got to be incredibly detail orientated. They want to know everything before you can start to talk about price. There's mm. no big picture without a small detail. Um, other other agencies have been a little bit keen on the oversell. If you can imagine, it's probably more the US. Um, mm. A little bit patronizing sometimes, but always mm. wanting to do a little bit more salesmanship in, in some of the things they're doing. Maybe it's just my interaction with with a smaller selection of, of agencies. But probably the biggest lesson I ever learned was clear communication. Um, we were working with a supplier from Southern Europe and they were able to agree a big picture and you walked into it thinking, you know, the detail is a given. And I think on that level, the detail worked out not to be okay. And there was a really, really good team, really, really nice people. They absolutely mm. wanted to get to the right place, but it just turned out we couldn't deliver it that well. And you had to have been a little bit more precise in communication, a little bit more precise in the deliverables. And for me, it was a good lesson, again, that some of the things that carried you through um, don't always in, in different setups 
So it's it's definitely mm. a different picture working with agencies in different countries. There's commonalities and there's obviously exceptions. So you can't say because you had one experience with one, it translates sure. to all of them. But at sure. least you get a feel for it. You get a feel that with some, you need to be a bit more detail orientated. That's what they'll really appreciate. With others, you know, it's, it's agree the big picture. And for others, it's make sure they can really, really deliver this um, you because you, you need to make it. But in amongst it all, I don't know whether it's because I'm just biased towards our home our home crowd, but uh, <laughs> I really like working with UK agencies. I don't sure. know whether it's this sort of heritage of film and media in the UK. Um, mm. I think we've also been big players in advertising, but the creative process in the UK always feels a bit more fun. I quite like our way of working, and, and probably it's mm. just because I'm a UK guy in the end, um, but I, I do like that process that we have here in the UK. Mm. I, I do think the UK uh, agency scene leads the world in in many aspects of sort of the agency delivery process, and I think it, it is the the envy of many agencies from from around around the world. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about COVID nineteen and the impact specifically it's had on marketing at bearing point what were some of the biggest challenges you had at the company from a marketing point of view when covid first hit and how have you responded so i mean for us at bearing point we're no different to any other business it hits us it hits our clients and you have to look and see well what does this mean from our marketing perspective is uh consultancy a lot of our marketing tends to be on the traditional side it tends to be on relationship building so you can factor in a a big roster of events and i think almost overnight everybody realized this is going to change things at least in the short term so it for me it was really really interesting i've got to say Mm. um you know you know bad things are happening around you so you can't say it's a good time but it's definitely an interesting time because it was the moment where digital marketing really became an important thing of what we do it became a bit more front and center than some of that relationship building which is obviously important but it was going to be our new channel for that relationship building during these times so we really started to to look and say, okay, what do we need to do to shift? What do we need to do to be able to encompass some of those needs that we have as a marketing team? Um, we did a lot of horizon scanning. We looked at what Google were doing because they released new things, um, new metadata information or rich snippets for Google search. And we started to really push out into how do we strengthen our digital event proposition? How do we embed webinars more onto our website how do we do things like video on demand how do we improve some of the content marketing things some of those improvements that you wanted to make to content marketing but have been lower down the roster of your your work all of a sudden went to the top um and i guess we would really start to then look and see each week are we really reacting in the same way as others have we got the right features have we got the right content um are we providing the information to our customers online that they're going to expect to see us? Because at this moment in time, you can't be the one website that looks like COVID didn't happen. Sure. Um, you can't be the one website that thinks, you know, everything will be okay again, so we're just not going to react to this. So we did. We reacted mm. in quite a strong way with content, with um, virtual events, with promoting this, um, with really pitching our voice. But it was... And still is. I mean, it, it feels like it's calming down a bit. Um, mm. But it's been a, a really interesting few months for, for me and my team and our, our wider marketing team as well. I, I mm. think um, we've had challenges, but we've overcome them really well. 
Now, aside from the marketing challenges, there are also technical challenges to of, of COVID-19. There's a human element to this, moving people to remote working environments, setting them up with uh, tablets and devices and uh, connectivity, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're potentially past that moment now. Now that we're, we are in this new sort of working from home environment, talk a little bit about some of what the new challenges are that you're facing now, specifically as it relates to the marketing team, and, and how are you over, overcoming them? Some of the new challenges I think we've got as our marketing team is now that you've been able to react quite quickly, you've done some of those um, plasters like creating content, pushing content out, making sure that we've got a voice, you've got some bigger unknown answers now. And especially as I alluded to earlier that we have a lot of events, what do you do about those events? Um, how do you manage some of these really big virtual events that you're now going to launch? How will you manage that relationship building in the sort of midterm? Because okay, you can, you can use digital channels to do this in the short term. You can say, okay, we need to move things to social media. You can say, okay, mm. we need to move it to a campaign. And for sure, that will see you through your first three, six months. But it, it can't be the only thing. In the end, people like talking to people. So I mm. think probably one of the biggest challenges from a sort of marketing communication side is how do we do that forward? Um, you know, Nobody knows what this is going to look like, but there's a lot of talk about a second wave of COVID. Nobody knows how that will be managed across Europe, across Asia, across the States. And you see a very different response even. You know, Europe is opening up. Asia still seems um, like it's open in its own country, but it doesn't really want to do so much outside. They're still a bit more reserved with international travel. The US is going through its own challenges. And how will you open up across those borders? How will you start to integrate with your clients. Mm. Um, I think that's probably the big unanswered question now. You know, nobody's entirely certain of how long this will go on for. And mm. what does your next stage of this marketing response look like? So I would say we've got open questions, not answers. Um, but I, I'd say it will also continue to be interesting in the months ahead. Mm, really interesting. Let, let's talk a little bit about thought leadership. We've we've been told for many years that thought leadership is definitely the way to go in in B two B. It creates trust. It conveys credibility. It tells the customer that we know about the world uh, and that you should talk to us before you talk to anyone else or before you make a decision. Um, but on the flip side of that, everyone is doing it these days. Everyone's creating content and thought leadership. So now, traditional thought leadership no longer confers advantage in the way that it once did in the past discuss i think for me thought leadership is still really really important actually it's um you know thought leadership research original thinking in our in our business it's still really one of those vital things because in the end we're we're selling our expertise we're selling our solutions we're selling our thinking so if you can't demonstrate it um people struggle to have a trust in you but the change is that it's no longer winner takes all. It's not that you can, in your marketing, just start to do thought leadership and you'll stand out and you'll be the most credible player in the market because, as you say, everybody's doing it. So it moves into more of a hygiene factor. You know, if you're not doing it, you're simply just not that credible. Sure. Um, but it becomes difficult because I think at one stage there was really a push even 
and I don't want to say it's quantity over quality because quality is always important, but there was also a view of try and get as much out as you can um, to a reasonable point. And I think now you really see that push in thought leadership onto real quality, quality of research, quality of thinking, but also, and from a marketing perspective, quality of delivery, quality of content. I think looking at creativity and how it's developed. The idea that I suppose you can write a piece launch it um, on your website and not do much more, you know, feels a bit like it's gone. So looking at different formats, looking at interactions, how do you make something really, really interesting? Because exactly that, you need to stand out then. You need to be the the gems in a field of coal, so to say, <laughs> to really push, push this out. And I think that's mm-hmm. where people will struggle then. Because if you move much more into this quality aspect, uh, it changes the game a, a little bit. But it will be interesting to see how thought leadership goes and moves forward. But I mm. definitely think for us at Bearing Point, we'll look a lot in our creativity um, mm. and how we deliver it, how that backs up your overall brand experience rather than just content, content, content and KPIs like we've seen for in content the last five sake. years or so. Yeah, exactly. there you go. So, so it still has to be done, but it has to be done with even more creativity and innovation. Exactly, exactly. And perhaps focusing in a little bit more. So doing less, better. Hmm. Really interesting. So one of the interesting things that surprised you about Bearing Point was what different countries want from their websites, be that France, Germany, the Nordics, etc., i.e. what content they wanted, how they used content, how they used social media. Talk a little bit about that. I suppose when I, when I joined Bearing Point, um, perhaps I was in a bit of a naive moment, but I was predominantly working on UK projects at the time before that. I thought that I really understood everything. I thought, yeah, I'm really quite good at this digital marketing game. And when you took on a more international role, it felt like you just had to replicate what you're doing everywhere else. Mm. Um, But for some reason or another, we decided let's have a look and see, you know, how are other organizations pitching themselves? How are main websites in um, professional services, in news outlets, in sport even, in media, how do they portray themselves in different countries? And we mm. went on a not very scientific route round of just looking at websites and making notes, but it, it became a, a bit surprising to me at the time, but something that feels obvious with reflection in that they were all subtly different. I mean, the UK feels quite a lot like the US in terms of its content, or at least it did when we did our review. Um, you know, it was still a bit more aspirational, but a bit more wow, a bit flashy, lots of content everywhere. Um, you saw the Nordic websites that all felt a little bit more sparse, a little mm. bit more cool, a little bit more clean, um, mm. without maybe some of the unnecessary items that we had in, in our UK websites. By the time we got to Germany, they felt very focused on content, on authority, um, but it was everything without the fluff. Um, I see. And then no frills. No extras, no frills. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then by the time we got to France, you just, you know, you could go to some websites and literally you could just see a big video on the screen and play it and a few words and that was it. And it was like, wow, really, really aspirational. We did this review a a few years ago, so I quite imagine that things have moved on, that they've perhaps converged a little bit more now. Um, But you you realized, even at this part, that the different countries would consume things differently. They'd react differently to different content. You see that sometimes in the KPIs that we look at. Um, You also saw in social media that 
if your website had to be a bit more open in how it worked for different countries, your social media approach definitely did. Sure. Um, I came in and thinking, you know, LinkedIn will take over the world everywhere. And you realize mm -hmm. the further east you moved into Eastern Europe, into Russia, mm -hmm it became a lot less of a thing. Um, huh. And over towards the UK and in the US, it was much more. You saw over the last years, it really growing in Germany and France. I think it's really a critical item now, but you definitely see the difference in the way that social channels are used, um, in the way that websites are used in, in the content delivery. There's still the core pillars that you know everybody uses, but how we use it, what we do, is definitely a different approach in each country. Mm. Um, so it, I learned quite Quite quickly, you know, you can't roll out one blueprint, everybody follows it, and mm -hmm. we'll all get success because it's not like that. So I think one of the most important things that um, I realized then was, you know, everybody needs to have enough support around them, we need to have good platforms that can enable them guidance. But most importantly, everybody needs freedom in a country to get their own success. That's been really, really important. I think being really open, saying, you know, it's not just one way, my approach or no approach. That's sure. been, that's really been critical. Um, but I think that openness is always a good idea in any role. So mm. we did that. It's worked. It continues to work. So um, mm. definitely, yeah, thinking in a more international role that everything's going to be just a little bit different is a good idea. Mm, really, really fascinating. Chris, final question before we get into our speed round, which we ask everyone that comes onto the onto the podcast. Um, selecting an agency partner is probably one of the most important decisions that a client can make. It's pretty easy to pick up the phone and uh, sort of on the spot hire an, a new agency. It's far more difficult to find an ideal partner to really reshape your approach and the way that you think about marketing to propel the business forward. What's the best way, in your opinion, for a client to choose a strategic agency partner? I think, um, and it, I always find this a bit interesting because I fit the mold of an ideal customer journey. But huh. um, for me, I, I've chosen quite a few agencies over the years. I think I've got a reasonable process for doing this. It's um, a little bit like um, doing something that you're just completely used to, and I follow the same process all the way along. Um, but for me, it, it starts off being honest with yourself, you know, defining the scope of the arrangement that you want with your next agency, understanding what your budget is, is really, really critical, um, and making sure that you don't dream for partners way beyond, you know, your own pockets. Um, I remember once picking up a phone to an agency and saying, yeah, you know, can you do this and this and this? And they were really, really blunt with me already. And they said, look, you know, our starting price is half a million. Have you got that at the time? I can tell you I definitely didn't. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you you know that you have to pitch mm. what, you, what the services you want to buy in with the right partner. You need to be important to that client. Mm. Um, and so I, I think that starts to find the fit. Um, I suppose the second part that I go on to with them is to really look at the social proof. Um, mm. So I'm interested to know from friends, from colleagues, have you worked with them? Do you know them? Um, I'm also really interested in case studies. I really like to see, you know, what you've done, if you've run campaigns, if you've done solutions, I'll have a look at them. Um, if you name clients, I'll see what they're doing and see if I think they're good. Um, and then you, you you get to the point where you actually have to meet them, right? So, you, you know, you've made your telephone calls, your introductions. Um, and usually when you're trying to find a reasonable partner, it comes to meeting them. And sometimes you just 
you just have to trust your gut. And that's a terrible thing to say in a process, but I think it's also true. Mm. Um, you can do all the research that you want, but sometimes you meet the people and you think, there's no way I want to work with them. And when mm. you're bringing in an agency in such an important role, you're probably going to be talking to them every week. And if you don't like the guys, you know, yeah. you're not going to want to talk to them every week. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That trusting your gut thing is really important. And, and you know, I, I think a lot of people underplay the significance and importance of that. I mean, if you listen, listen to anything that behavioral science says, it trusting your gut and instinct really comes from pattern recognition and the fact that you've seen this so many times before. So you develop uh, almost a sixth sense of what people are going to be like and what the experience is going to be like before you actually make the decision. Exactly, exactly. And probably probably you're really right in that comment as well because we've also over the years hired agencies and sometimes it's not worked. Mm. And so exactly that part of your gut reaction says this feels like it's going to have sure. in our previous yes. experiences. <laughs> you know, this is going to be a guy that's yeah. really going to be difficult or you right. know, the, the guy selling you something really good but the team don't look like they can back it up we've um, been here before we've been here before and we yeah. have been here before yeah um but no these days we're usually quite good or i'm usually quite good at selecting agencies mm. um at least for my part of marketing that i want to work with um but you know it, it is that it's finding the fit finding the right size i also think you need to make sure from a size perspective you're um you're an important customer for that agency um and you know finding people that work with you in a good way mm, really interesting chris just bringing the interview towards a close now let's get into our speed round these are the more fun questions that we ask everyone that, that comes onto the show so I'll, I'll fire some questions at you if you can fire some answers back that would be uh, that would be great um which cmo in your opinion is doing the best job in marketing right now um at least the one that i, I think is most interesting is just eat um the brand mm. feels very challenging the campaigns are really really bold it looks a lot of fun and i think mm. you know home delivery in covid times um the snoop dog campaign yeah uh, cmo <laughs> at just eat is, is the one. yeah i think it's a really good job right now. yeah good shout uh in your opinion are agencies a luxury or a necessity what do agencies offer that they're that's so unique that the client can't replicate or achieve by themselves um, I think for, for me, it's outside influence. More than all of the things that the agency probably wants to be known for, it's that outside influence. I think internally, you just become an echo chamber in mm. the end. I, I think agencies are absolute essential, not a luxury, um, but it's the outside influence that they bring. Really interesting. What's the single thing that you love about working with agencies and what do you dislike or what frustrates you about working with agencies? Okay. Um, I suppose what I, what I like is excitement. I, I really want to know, you know, what you're doing for your other clients, what's really, really cool. Tell me something new, get me excited, get me to want to do something really different. I, I really like that part of working with agencies. So probably conversely, the other part that really frustrates me is when you just get stale solutions, old thinking, mm. boring pitches from what I then always class as lazy agencies. I mm. mean, um, probably it's because what I like is the excitement that what I hate is the really stale solutions. Really interesting. Um, at times we all hit a low point, COVID-19, I'm sure at the beginning hit uh, all of us in, in a similar sort of way. How do you motivate yourself when we do hit those low points? 
for me, it's probably a bad answer, but I like to just get away. Um, when you know everything has just become too much, I always think you need a break. Um, sometimes I like to be a bit inspired. You know, you visit a new country, you see how they do things, um, you see just little bits. You know how when you're visiting a restaurant, you're booking it. How I don't know the retail experiences, sure. and you can bring some of that inspiration home. So I, I think for me, it's get away, yeah, easy. Go on more holidays. That will <laughs> motivate yourself. Yeah, I don't know Good if my answer. boss would agree, but you know, go on more holidays. <laughs> definitely, definitely. What excites you most about your current role and position? Um, again, probably quite an easy answer. It's the company. It's really dynamic. Um, the projects that you work on really reflect that. It's a really interesting place to work. So. Being in digital marketing at Baron Point is a, a good place to be. Mm. And my final question, Chris, what's the single biggest thing that you yet to achieve that you'd like to achieve in your career? Um, I mean, I've, I've been really thrilled with my journey so far, but in the future, if I was to do something that I've not yet done, I guess it would be to start something new on my hmm. own. I don't know what that would look like. I've never really been able to answer that question, but I, I think that's definitely it. It's, mm. it's you know, then you've done all of these things for years for other people what would you sure. do on your own but um, I'm not sure what that would look like but really I'll let you know when I get there <laughs> but it's an itch you want to scratch really yes. interesting yeah, yeah. absolutely fantastic Chris thank you for being a guest on the show great thanks a lot if you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at Fox Agency if you'd like to appear as a guest on the show please email Millie at Fox Agency the people that make this show possible are Millie Bell and Natasha Rosich, our booker slash researcher. David Clare is our head of content. Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.